You could go down these online rabbit holes, finding out who are the people in power or finding out what the signs are, are of someone using that power. And then you can pretend that you know what's going on, even if you don't know who the people are who are behind it. Or you can pretend you know who the people are behind it. Listeners of our Undoing Radio, please welcome to the program my friend Tyler Cokejohn. Tyler, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you. It's good to be here. You, you've been on before, though. I have. Yeah. So welcome back. back. I guess welcome back. And welcome to retirement. You are a retired uh, microbiologist slash professor. If you're a professor of microbiology, are you still really considered a microbiologist? Like, are you considered uh, a doctor, even if you're not a practicing physician kind of thing? Well, that's a good question. I I suppose uh, you could say, no, if you're not working in the laboratory, you're not a real uh, microbiologist anymore. Uh, and I just ignore those people. <laughs> because you are. I am. I is. Okay. I always will be. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, and you're retired, so that means you're free to say anything you want. You are, you're not um, getting taking dictation from corporate overlords or university overlords or a, any sort of overlords like that, right? Right, right. You are correct. Now, I say that... Uh, you got to watch yourself. Yeah, I say that sort of in jest, but do you understand, I mean, now that, you know, you've seen pandemic and various uh, conspiracy theories about Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates and all that. I know that you know that there is this distrust of science and the medical establishment out there, but do you understand what that's about? Uh, yeah, I guess I, I, I understand the outline. I know what the charges are. Uh, I'm not so clear as to why uh, some people are uh, necessarily uh, so mistrustful. I, I, but I, I understand, uh, you know, sort of the basic uh, concerns about uh, vaccine safety and, um, I guess, conflicts of interest. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, one of the charges against Dr. Fauci is that he was uh, in a position to have a conflict of interest to make money and move forward to do that. I think that's been pretty thoroughly debunked. But, you know, I mean, I can see that. You, you do wonder what, when people are selling you ideas, what are they really selling you? And, and it would be perfectly appropriate for uh, you to start the interview with someone like me by asking, uh, do you have any financial uh, or professional interests in the general topic, say, of uh, coronavirus or COVID and those sorts of things. And that would put me on the spot to alert you if indeed I had anything. That, oh, yeah, I work for this company or I consulted with these people uh, that you could have sort of a, a fair warning about what my positions might be. Is there something you'd uh, like to tell honestly, me? For, uh, no, oh, I'm good. Okay. I'm clean. Okay? Right. I have no, uh, no conflicts uh, in this particular area. Uh, and a long time time ago, I stopped doing consulting work in uh, the area of Alzheimer's disease because we were having my coworker, uh, Alex Roher, my mentor, Alex Roher, and I kind of had to make decisions about what we wanted to do. And one of the problems we were having is uh, so much uh, consulting work uh, with strings attached was uh, 
inhibiting our ability to write the kind of papers we wanted to write. And uh, for Alex, he he made uh, a lot of income as a consultant. He was highly sought after, and he had had a very specialized uh, chemical knowledge. So he was valuable, and he gave that up, gave it all up. Huh. So the is there uh, what what is the nature of the pressure that is put on you? Is it financial? Is it being blacklisted? What is it? Well, for me and and for the the uh, situation with microbiology in particular, I was working with a biotech company, uh, working with uh, this this was twenty almost twenty years ago now, looking for alternatives to antibiotics. And these guys that, that uh, I had just discovered by accident, they found a virus that killed bacteria like I had never seen. And more important, it went after uh, something that causes a lot of problems medically, you know, Staph aureus, Staphylococcus aureus. And so their idea was to turn this into a human therapeutic. That never came to pass. But one of the problems was as a peer reviewer of uh, manuscripts for a scientific journal, uh, other people were working in areas that were close enough that I had to say to the editor, I, I can't review this. I, I, I um, look at the abstract and I, I see the potential where people could say that I, I have a conflict. And then if I didn't like the paper, uh, you know, or made uh, derogatory comments that slowed them down, Maybe somebody would come back and say, "Oh, yeah, he's he's just trying to uh, stifle the competition." And I just did not want to be in that position. I didn't want the editors to be stuck in that position as well. And so, so it, it really kind of ruined a, a lot of what we do uh, as uh, professional service for me. And as it happened, I began to to work more in the Alzheimer's biochemistry field, so I didn't didn't have those uh, worries. But it was that was just kind of a happenstance that I didn't really plan that. But anyway, I did, I did have some, uh, some issues, some professional uh, review issues over what I was doing for others. How long were you a professor? Hmm. I was at Midwestern University since 1997, and I think... I became a professor in around the year 2000. So that would be almost 20 years. Okay, good. So you're a perfect person to ask before we get into COVID and all of that. Um, just how you've seen education change, because one of the things that uh, I've talked about a little bit in a previous episode is how the educational system uh, under George Bush II um it seems to have changed from a more open uh, learning system to which wasn't that good to begin with. As I said in the show, like it wasn't good when I was coming up, but it seems even worse after it was, it's all just about sort of memorization, uh, no wisdom, no how to be in the world, just memorize this set of facts, the end. Um, if, if you think that's kind of, if you think that's fair, <laughs> I don't know if you do. Uh, how do you think, our education has affected our ability to um, to look at something like a pandemic or a QAnon conspiracy or any of that and and cipher out like what is just impossible from what's even possible. Oh 
Well, let me tell you that a number of people in education, the broad sort of general field, had become concerned and, and the, the sort of the watchword became critical thinking. And that was a recognition that we were uh, equipping a lot of students, perhaps not with the kind of life skills, the thinking skills, the examination, reflection skills that they really needed. And so there were programs put into place and uh, initiatives, whatnot, uh, but also kind of the, the general awareness building that you wanted to do more than have people be able to cite, recite a list of facts on demand and, uh, and give them data to kind of toy with their situation uh, to uh, examine and analyze. Uh, and so people did uh, make a, a pretty big effort. And this began, I guess, uh, fair to say, during the George W. Bush administration and, and continues to this day. that We have new colleagues uh, coming on board. Uh, the person that will replace me will, will come into a program where we're trying to, to flip the classroom. I don't know if you, you've heard that. That's the, the jargon that we use. So instead of just talking to the students, just lecturing them, you know, we give them some background material, which they're expected to go over. Uh, before class and then come in, uh, if we did a, a complete flip, come in and say, well, hey, what are your questions? Or, hey, here's a scenario. This patient walks in and, and they have this and this and this, and uh, it's uh, flu season, you know, what are the lists of uh, potential agents on your differential diagnosis? And, oh, by the way, how could you tell common influenza from COVID-19? You have two seconds. And that's, so they have to, they, it's, it's something you're not really prepared to memorize. There's no answer. You know, they have to, they have to parse their way through the data and come up with something. So we've been, we've tried that. Now, now remember that my experience at Midwest University, this is a professional school. And so these, these people are wanting to become physician assistants, uh, dentists, doctors, uh, and everything you can think of uh, uh, medically. Uh, so they're, they're really motivated. Uh, they're powerful and we get the best students we can get and they're pretty good at this but uh in terms of, of what it's like in undergraduate institutions now I, I really couldn't tell you uh but well one thing you've told me in the past is that um students nowadays tend to just sort of think they can google their way through education so <laughs> yes uh, you know this idea that we i mean that even people who want to be doctors think that they can just completely trust what's online first of all but then it's just as simple, like everything is just as simple as a click away. Um, why isn't that true? Well, it, it is true, Jeremy. You can, you can do that. Uh, and one of the things that uh, you do have to, to uh, adopt the, a new culture as a student, uh, and sometimes we, we really force it on them, but they're very used to doing that. And so one of the arguments is, well, yeah, but... Why, why do I have to memorize this? Because I can just look at it on my phone. And, and I tell them that, yes, uh, you can do that, but just understand that the patient will come in armed with that knowledge and perhaps more. Uh, and the other problem that you have is that the University of Google has its strengths. Uh, I'm not discounting that. And it certainly uh, is a good tool. But it's not the same thing as going through a, a course curated by a content expert because the University of Google or Google 
is not primarily an education tool. It, it's a sales device. You want to think of it in one sense. So it's telling us, you know, which of the entries are the most highly rated. So, for example, if I had been uh, a, uh, I guess, a, a, a Playboy centerfold type person and I'd written something about vaccines, they might show up very high on the list of Google ratings because they use interesting algorithms, which we can't know about, to rate things. This is a little different than having a professor come in who's had some experience in the field uh, develop a course. So there are, you know, I mean, there are pluses and minuses, and yes, you can do that, but um, it won't necessarily give you the right answer in terms of uh, total context. Much depends on how you phrase the query terms. And sometimes those uh, really start off right at the, you know, at the very beginning. Uh, an expert will do certain things certain ways. Uh, you could say that that is not necessarily always the best, but um, because they may uh, overlook things, uh, you know, the training may narrow their focus. But uh, I'm telling you, there's nothing like having uh, somebody that, that actually knows the content thoroughly, forwards and backwards, when you come in. And, and they could say, yeah, it could be something that was once seen uh, in the uh, Cape Horn region of Africa. But I'm going to guess that since you've never been there, you have, and, uh, and base that hopefully on some real logic and understanding. But it is, Google has, the, the internet has changed a lot. Uh, I'm not going to kid you. Uh, and sometimes for the good, uh, but it can be tricky. It can be, it can, just like every tool, I guess, yeah. can be misused. Well, and I also think it can't teach you bedside manner, but uh, maybe more <laughs> importantly, I mean, it's interesting to think of, we now live in a world where uh, the the patient can come in, as you say, armed with the same knowledge or more. And so we find ourselves in a place where the common person believes they're doctors at this point. Uh, that's one problem. The other problem is the doctor, I mean, if they're both meeting each other with a Google, uh, with a search engine set of knowledge, they're not meeting each other as people. <laughs> and so how can you, you know, if yeah. you just look at a list of symptoms, you can, you know, that you get off PubMed, you can go, oh, yeah, you got that. But if you actually know what you're talking about, you might see those symptoms and go, actually, that, well, I think this is what you were just getting at a second ago, but you could yeah. read them yeah. differently and, and actually correctly diagnose them. It's uh, the expert's eye, the well-trained expert's eye uh, is, uh, you know, something that is uh, very difficult to reproduce. Uh, but in a way, Google is very empowering, or the internet shouldn't just pick on Google. The internet is, is, is a very empowering thing as well because the, the patients uh, will come in with, with at least some smattering of uh, knowledge and they can say, yeah, oh, yeah, I saw that. Or, okay, that, that seems to comport with uh, what I found. And hopefully they'll have that experience. And unfortunately, they, they may not. But uh, this is the world we're in. Uh, if you want to hear something really strange. Okay. Uh, I had a friend, a very good friend, when I was at Loyola, who was uh, a resident in ophthalmology. And one of the things that he said to me was, uh, oh, I can always tell I'm in trouble. It's whenever I catch myself thinking. 
And I remember laughing really hard because I thought he was just messing with me. And he said, no, no, this, I'm serious. And, and what he meant was, and, what, and he explained to me is, when I'm having a little conversation in my head with the patient's you know, signs and symptoms, and I'm looking at this, and I catch myself going back and forth, well, yeah, I could be, yeah, maybe, and, and I'm not sure. It means I'm past my experience level, that I'm not instantly sorting this out and saying, oh, yeah, that, that's uh, pretty typical for a staph infection of the eye, just to pick one. Uh, you know, or, oh, boy, uh, this, this is a common side effect of using uh, soft contact lenses. And that's when he said, that is my warning sign. I need a consult. I need somebody else who's got more experience in the department to come in and have a look, you know, because I'm past my sort of knowledge level. And so even this guy, to, to get into ophthalmology at this time, and I think still today, Pretty competitive, I, but he recognized very, very readily that he had limitations, and and so he. It was funny how he phrased it, but uh, he knew when he was uh, on shaky ground, and that's a skill too. Yeah, and, and that's that's an experience in you for sure, and that's that is interesting. Uh, it just it seems to me I'm going to sort of wrap this in the the conspiracy bow here. Um, in my day, uh. A conspiracy was um, something that seemed kind of open-ended precisely because there were no experts to tell you what the answer was. (laughs) And now it seems as though the conspiracy can just be like anything because I'm just as smart as everyone else, aren't I? And it's hard to tell people uh, that they're miseducated. It's hard to tell people that they're, they're stupid and it's no fault of their own necessarily. They were screwed by the system, but now you add on to that their own sort of personal arrogance. And it's like this deadly combination of, uh, it becomes this wall where they just start spewing things that you know are nonsense, but they just look at you and go, no, you're nonsense as though that's the right argument. Um, or they go, well, I got it through my own intuition, my own meditating. I don't need to cite sources. It was downloaded to me. It becomes this like, and that's perfectly okay for them. That's perfectly rational. I guess I become a skeptic in my old age, Tyler. It's funny. And, and even in another way where like with physics, you know, they, uh, you talk about pseudoscience and physics and it kind of makes sense to me to take like these broad imaginative, um, hypotheses in physics and theories and try to make them apply to the macro world around you, you know? Um, and I think sometimes it actually does work, even though they say it's pseudoscience and sometimes it doesn't, but to take something that is specialized like medicine, where you really actually need a degree to know what you're talking about or virology, right? Is, and to just say, well, I watched this 20 minute movie with these people I've never heard of directed by somebody I've never seen before. And the music cues felt right to me. <laughs> Therefore, it's real. Uh, the disconnect in it, it feels as though that type of disconnect wasn't. I mean, it's always been there. There's always been crazy people and all of that. But it seems like it's about, I don't know, 30, 40 percent of the nation. And the nation is how many hundreds of millions of people. So it's a lot of people is what I'm saying. What happened? Is there anything that you can see that besides just the educational system? And it can't just be that. 
What do you think is happening there? And do you find it insulting or just baffling? It is baffling. We have, I think we were just talking recently that here we have more people with advanced degrees of one sort or another than we ever had in the history of the universe. And it seems that in some ways the dialogue and discussions are becoming more inane. And uh, I, would, I would point back to it as a, an older professor type and say, well, the Internet certainly has contributed uh, in that people can find each other uh, more easily and they can, they can amplify uh, their belief systems or, or, or whatnot uh, more uh, strongly than they used to. It's, uh, I can tell you that uh, back when I was a little kid growing up, uh, we, we had three TV networks, and uh, TV news was pretty carefully regulated, and we all kind of saw similar things. Uh, now, again, there were a lot of print media and things out there, but they didn't quite have the impact as the, as the broadcast networks. And, it, and so we, we were seeing roughly the same thing, uh, and that, that made a difference. Now we have so many choices, so many sources uh, and it can be quite a challenge to decide uh, which of those are really truly authoritative and maybe which are are not so much. And, uh, but that, that's what I would equate it to, the growth in media, broadcast media, uh, internet, all these things have changed the, the way that we go about finding information. So it may be you're old enough to remember that uh, when we needed to do uh, a school report or whatnot, we were often uh, quickly dispatched to the library. And they would have resource files, but it was all curated by a librarian uh, who was probably, uh, I think they were required to be at least 90 years old. And so rather <laughs> conservative. Yeah. You know, so this was back in the day. But um, it was just not as easy to lay your hands on information as it is now. And, and so those are I mean, the convenience, the, the power and the speed that the internet gives you to do research. Unbelievable. So unbelievably good. Wait, well, wait a second. Cause you're saying that we now have the ability to do research at a greater clip than ever before. And you're also saying that there are more, yeah. that there are more highly educated people, or at least people with degrees than ever before. So what's the disconnect? And one thing that I've seen that I didn't realize until recently is that there are, uh, I guess less people in the U.S. right that actually go to college than do. Is that true? You know, I I'm not sure about that, Jeremy, because I think um, uh, by the numbers, I think there's a, a lot more people that actually go than. I mean, if you define college as as anything beyond a high school diploma, uh, I think we have a lot more people that, that seek some sort of. Uh, further training after high school than not. Yeah, you would think at, at this stage. So okay, but but if if it's so, a large population of people who don't bother with higher education, and then there's an even larger or you know equal or maybe I would think larger population that do, but they're not getting educated in in the right way. Then I don't know. It just seems to me that we've got people that we consider to be experts in things that that are now, instead of put on a pedestal, um, are, are taken off the pedestal. 
to, to say, you can't know more than I do. And it's like they speak their own little coded language that nobody understands. And then you've got like their one or two representatives who come down from on high to tell the rest of us and write books for us and, and all of that. And it seems like that was working for a while. And now people don't want that. People don't trust that. And um, so it's like the, this illusion of being just as educated simply because you can Google search something or find an article somewhere online that will reflect your outlook um, as opposed to even wanting to be challenged, even wanting to see other points of view. It's this doubling down on who you are and how you think and how you feel to the exclusion of other people. And then somebody is manipulating this or several somebodies are manipulating this psychologically online through, you know, like QAnon and things like this, um, or even Russian propaganda or whatever, which they both may be the same thing. Um, but anyway, it, it just seems like uh, we've become um, arrogant and delusional. And um, it, I don't know. But now that the um, the protests are going on, the George Floyd protests and all that, do you think that we have a shot at kind of coming out of this in some way? Or what is your feeling on that? Do you, do you see us? I mean, you've been around long enough. <laughs> do you think that we're going to change things significantly because of this? Uh, or do you, do you see it sort of bouncing back to our normal lethargy? Well, I hope that we can, can change things, but uh, lethargy is uh, pretty potent. Uh, and I, like I say, I've seen things and, and turning points before that end up maybe being a little disappointing. Uh, but your point is well taken about, what is it that um, makes us the kind of the way we are in terms of uh, maybe not being so accepting? And I, I would say that one one thing that, to keep in mind is uh, we do. Uh, in fact, I think you use this term. Um, we are we do sometimes treat science and technology a little bit like a cargo cult, and that we don't quite understand the whole thing. We see some of it. And, and we kind of react to it uh, in, in perfectly logical ways that don't quite get the, the whole story. And that's unfortunate because what's happened is the way that um, science, biological science, uh, and uh, others are practiced now uh, in, the, in the laboratories is uh, often a little bit different than the way that it's presented and, um, and demonstrated in the, in the schools. And that is something that people are trying to address to uh, to show students what genetic engineering is, for example, to get them more up into to speed. Because, like it or not, at some point we're going to have to make decisions uh, about these technologies, how to deploy them, and that's going to require that people have some basic level of education. And uh, we will have to um, supplement. There, there, are, there have been some disconnects. So one of the things that, that I was actually uh, thinking about today is uh, we were uh, um, talking about uh, some videos of, of actions that were um, pretty brutally indefensible uh, being uh, conducted against uh, protesters. And I'm not saying that there aren't uh, this doesn't go 
both ways. But uh, one thing that we have now that we didn't before are phone cameras and the ability to document. And, and I can tell you uh, stuff that I looked at uh, years ago. And this is the idea of how technology changes things and why I feel some level of enthusiasm that maybe things really will change. Uh, have you heard about the Innocence Project? You know what that is? Uh, yeah, many moons ago. But and, and so, tell us anyway. Yeah, so uh, when uh, uh, I think it's Barry Shank and uh, uh, Newfeld, I think is the other person's name. For years, Jeremy. For years, I had heard activists come forward and say, "Look." The death penalty, like it, hate it, whatever, we really don't want to employ it because so many innocent people are being put to death. And I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, prison is full of uh, people that didn't do anything and just kind of let it go. Well, here comes the Innocence Project where they took the power of DNA analysis, PCR analysis, and the insight that they had which was in its day and still remains absolutely brilliant was if we could go back and look at some of the evidence, we might be able to show that people who are either incarcerated for one period of time, or maybe even on death row, uh, actually didn't do what they were accused of. And lo and behold, they came up with case after case of exonerations. And these were, the witnesses, all these people, they were very sincere and believed, I firmly in my heart believed this, that they were doing and saying absolutely the right thing, the God gospel, God, gospel truth, when they testified against people and they were proved wrong. And so this, the Innocence Project's been around for a long time. I think they have over 300 exonerations and a couple dozen maybe people taken off of death row. This is through technology. We, we shook the very foundation of our legal system with this technology. And we, I hope, as people learn something, you know, beyond the CSI um, crime show stuff, that, oh, my God, we really maybe need to, to rethink this. So my hope is that maybe with documentation and people seeing things, that finally the technology, uh, handheld electronics or the Innocence Project DNA stuff will sort of, sort of show us the way and make us realize, like it or not, we need to address some things here. That there really were people speaking the truth that we wouldn't hear. Okay? They're just like me. We wouldn't hear it. Didn't believe it. Can't be. There it is. There's the evidence right in front of you. You know, not to be a Debbie Downer, but I guess my my uh, Debbie Downer <laughs> cynical take on it is, or my fear, I guess, if there, if you want to call it that, is that what happens is there's inevitably, you know, white people have white privilege, and so we have the privilege to feel fatigued by all of this, and so in that fatigue, somebody in power will inevitably start promoting. Um, the idea that this was just a couple of bad apples, it's not the system. 
And if that, if we're too fatigued, we might go, yeah, you know what? I'm sick of all of this. Uh, white people get killed by cops too, blah, blah, blah. And it, now I'm hoping this won't happen. I'm hoping it won't go that way. It just seems sure. to always go that way, but maybe this is the time when it doesn't. When we realize, oh wait, we can't, we've got to give up this privilege. We've got to give up the idea that this is a choice. You know, or the we got to give up the illusion that <laughs> that we're uh, solidly changed by this when we don't ever seem to be solidly changed by. It. I mean, we just got to go with it this time, um, or else, or else again we fall into that that fatiguing thing, which um, is kind of what we've already done with COVID, right? Like, what a nice transition this is from having to care about a pandemic to being able to take to the streets. And do something, or at least feel as though you're doing something um, to right a wrong, to fight the power, the whatever. Uh, which it seems as though, oh right, we're forgetting that there's still a pandemic going on. Um, and that both of these things are simultaneously true, right? But we can only focus on one thing or the other, <laughs> it appears to be. <laughs> yeah. But this pandemic yeah. is, I mean, something is going to be resolved with George Floyd situation. And so uh, it will either be in the form of like political comforting and or real action that will completely overhaul the system or will band-aid it just enough that we go back to sleep. But something, something will happen. Um, either the change or the fatigue, one of the two. And then we're back to the pandemic, right? So that will not have gone away. And this is really where you come in as an expert who has done a really great series with uh, Tim Banal and Banal of America about COVID. Um, you're not bought and paid for by anybody, and you've got the education <laughs> to speak authoritatively on these things. What do you think the future of COVID is? I mean, before the fear was it will come back in the fall or the winter and it might be worse or it probably will be worse than it is now. But now that we've been out in the streets together, uh, is this even going away for the summer? Oh, our in doing radio. Don't you hate a cliffhanger? I sure do. Tyler will be back next week to talk about COVID and the future. Until then, please consider going to OurUndoing.com, signing up for a membership, donating, whatever you like, or just good old-fashioned enjoying the website. And do let me know if you are enjoying the website and what it is you like and don't like, what you'd like to see more of and less of, write to me, Jeremy, at OurUndoing.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. We'll pick it up with Tyler.